Hello, hello, and welcome to My Tennis Journey, where we aim to bring compelling tennis stories to life. As you're listening today, it'd be amazing if you could hit subscribe or follow. It's free, you know. Being a tennis parent can be amazing. It can be rewarding. But as all tennis parents will know, there's also another side. Because being a tennis parent can be challenging and at times stressful for all sorts of different reasons. As you'll hear, today's guest has had a really fascinating adventure as a tennis parent. Sally Appleton is the mum to Emily Appleton. Following a successful junior career, which saw her reach world number 10, Emily has gone on to be a professional tennis player competing around the world on the tour. Today's episode is an episode of two halves. In the first half, I got to ask Sally about her experiences as a tennis parent to Emily as a junior. Then in the second half, we get to chat about a parent's perspective of being a mum to a pro player. Sally's in a brilliant position to do this as she publishes a blog called Reality Tennis, which gives a parent's perspective of what it's like for a player trying hard to make it in the pro world. The good, the bad and the reality of life on the pro tour. The roller coaster ride of what life is really like for large numbers of pro players may be somewhat different to what you think life is like. Sally shines a light on this. I'm sure you'll find Sally's insights across both halves of our conversation as compelling as I have. So welcome to the show, Sally Appleton. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Come on, Sally. Um, I mean, you know, genuinely, the blog, you know, it does give a brilliant insight and just reading it. And I'd encourage anyone out there to, who's involved in tennis, interested in tennis, to read it. From a, a, a tennis parent perspective, you know, what's your first memory of Emily with a racket in her hand? Um, holding a racket, I'd say, is, is actually it's actually a beach bat. You know, there's wooden beach bats. That's my first memory. And I, I actually dug out, I mean, the listeners can't see this, but there's a picture here that I'm showing Rob. I don't know if you can see that, of Emily yeah. on the beach in a little swimming costume. And she was about three, I think. Um, belting oh. a ball. So that's my my earliest recollection of her sort of playing something vaguely like tennis. Um, but then holding a proper tennis racket, I'd say, yeah, around about three, three and a half. My Her, her father, uh, passionate about tennis um, and was keen to get her on, you know, on the court as soon as, as soon as she could walk almost. Um, so, so that's my earliest recollection of her with the racket in her hand. Maybe we can get a copy of that picture, but you know, <laughs> like the 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 listeners won't be able to see that. But Emily has a smile on her face, and she was watching the ball. <laughs> she was watching the ball. It's a decent starting point. Was it clear, you know, that she loved it straight away? Um, I don't know that she loved it, but she loved all sorts of sports. She's she she was one of those kids who um, didn't sit down for long. Um, but, you know, and from a very young age, she played an awful lot of sports. It wasn't just tennis with, you know, the whole family was pretty mad about sports. So um, tennis is just the one that, that's come out the other end, to be honest. And uh, and to come all the way through to the present day, you're over in the States with Emily now. Is that is that preparing for the, the next campaign? 
It's a, an annual tradition. Um, which she and I come out here. We've got a lot of friends. We're over in Florida. We've, we're very lucky. We've got so, lots of friends over here. Um, so we we come over. She came over. You know, she's competed. I think in thirty nine tournaments this year, which is a wow. lot of weeks out of fifty two. Um, so it was time for you know some downtime. Unfortunately, the week that she decided to have to have off, uh, it was raining and cold. <laughs> So that wasn't great. But anyway, the sun's shining now. It's warming up and uh, she's back on court. We've got a coach over for a few days, which is a bit of a treat because she doesn't sort of have a regular coach. So, yeah, she's out here making the most of being able to play outside for a couple of weeks. And then it's actually back to the UK and Europe to start competing over there in early January. Amazing. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that I'm so excited about chatting today is the fact that you've you've been through all the the junior times of being a tennis parent. And, you know, all the tennis parents listening will know that at times that can be really, really challenging. But you're now living and breathing it, you know, on on a pro level, which I know from the blog brings another whole set of challenges. <laughs> but, I mean, if we if we look back to, you know, Emily's junior career and, and your experience as, as a tennis mum, what, what are the memories of the highs, but also the memories of, of the challenges that you experienced as a tennis parent? I think it, it was quite tough. Um, well, obviously, it was quite tough, as, as any parent of a sports person would know. You know, quite, from quite a young age, she was competing in lots of different sports, so it wasn't just tennis. Um, and weekends might be a tennis tournament, but it might also be a badminton tournament or a school netball match or a, a swim meet or something. She played all sorts of sports up to the age of 17, to be honest. And we, you know, it, it, we let her decide when she was going to give certain things up. But yeah, I, the highs for me in terms of her tennis, which is the route she went down, was obviously her competing in all four Grand Slams, which she did more than once, um, and reaching the court, quarterfinals of the Australian Open singles and doubles and the quarterfinals of the US Open doubles. I mean, that was absolutely amazing. It's something we won't ever forget. Um, and also winning the coffee bowl, which is the South American equivalent of the orange bowl, uh, which she won aged 17 uh, in front of an enormous crowd. And it was televised all over South America. And, you know, that was an absolute delight. She won the singles and the doubles there. So those were the, were the highs, I'd say, really, really high. Uh, but then, you you know, as soon as you turn pro or move on to the sort of women's tour, you you fall like a stone because you're at the bottom again and you've got to start and pick yourself up and start all over again. But they're the highs, I'd say. Um, the challenges that I faced as a parent, I guess, were juggling work uh, and and having a tennis playing daughter. Um, fortunately, I had a very understanding uh, boss. Uh, I was... I'm not a qualified teacher, but I had fallen into teaching in a in a private school. Um, and she was always of the view that um, if a child has a talent at something, they should be given that chance to explore it. She said to us, you know, she never wanted to be the one that Emily would say, I never made it because my head teacher wouldn't let me out of school. Um, so, yeah, I was very lucky. And I had that, that boss who would let me come and go as and when I needed to come and go. Challenges also about, you know, making sure she had variety in her life. As I said earlier, that she tried all sorts of different sports. Um, 
and you know actually reached national level in badminton um she also won national titles with her school teams in netball hockey and made the national badminton finals wow but it wasn't yeah but she gradually gave things up so when 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 swim training got to nine o'clock on a friday night she turned to me and said mum i don't want to do this anymore absolutely fine i was thrilled because i wasn't enjoying it either um and you know and netball which was her biggest love she sort of stuck it out till she was about 16 and a half and then she realized that she was getting although it's supposed to be a non-contact sport that it was quite physical and she was getting bumped and bashed and and the, the risks of injury were just too high so she was 16 basically when she decided that no I'll focus on tennis um she did actually toss up between badminton and tennis but realized that financially probably tennis was the better route to go down um so that but giving her variety so that you know as a, as a young child she had the chance to play everything that's an awful lot to throw at you sorry <laughs> no no it's brilliant I love it I just you know today I just want to <laughs> listen and I'm sure everyone who's listening will be the same because you've lived the journeys that that we're on and you know it's interesting from a multi-sport point of view you know was that was that a philosophy you know early specialization I read up on these things and early specialization can result in players perhaps getting a bit tired of doing the same thing all the time you know was that a philosophy you had or was that just literally Emily was into doing everything and therefore you tried to facilitate that no it was a philosophy I had to be honest I you know I only have one child and I wanted to get open her eyes to as many things as I possibly could um she she did ballet she did tap dancing she did modern dance she did all those things because I thought they would be good for her posture she wasn't great at those, have to say. <laughs> but it was kind of fun to watch her do those. Uh, you know, um, it was a case of, look, there are all these sports out there. Go and enjoy them all. And and you'll realise which ones you like and which ones you don't like. Um, and, you know, and by natural selection, as it were, things started to be dropped down because she wasn't enjoying them. Um, you know, the hockey, for example, they won the, the national title when she was, oh, I think she was 10. Or eleven, but she didn't want to play anymore. She didn't really enjoy the hockey, so you know that was easy to to drop. And also, the school she moved on to didn't didn't play hockey. So, uh, but it was a case of give 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 her everything. Well, not give her everything because that sounds like she's a spoiled child. But you know, give her all these opportunities. Open the doors, and then if she wants to close the door, that's fine. Um, and see which ones you know you come back to each time. And that would that was tennis, badminton, netball. They were her main things. And were there at times people saying, you must just do tennis, you must just get those 10,000 hours in now? We we were told a few times that she was doing, you know, too much, too many things. Um, but also we were being, you know, receiving the sort of, this is what you should be doing each week. And, and this is how many hours she should be doing in the gym, how many hours on the court, which obviously she wasn't doing because she was doing other sports. But my argument always was, she's she's doing it all she's just doing it in different sports why not get the body ready for everything uh if you specialize young you know you could end up getting tennis elbow for example through overuse of the arm why, why don't you go do gymnastics play some other sports and get the whole body ready for whatever sport you choose to do when you're a teenager or or further down the line now i'm not saying i'm right but that was my opinion at the time and touch wood if I can find any around here. She she hasn't had 
he has not had many injuries uh, to date. Um, she really hasn't. Um, so we've been quite lucky. And maybe that's because she, you know, her body was ready for lots of different things. I don't know. Yes, it's fascinating. You know, and the other one in terms of like the sacrifices and understanding line managers and giving them the chance to enjoy the sport and things like the head said I mean all the tennis parents listening will know how much that is and to the point where I've just you know as you know I've literally just resigned as being a head coach and that's because I feel like with R3 to give them every opportunity to enjoy the sports which they're going after I just can't be working every evening and at the weekend so I mean people will understand that this is the sacrifices that have been made in tennis. Um, I mean, we will have a lot of parents listening. If you could narrow it down to one top tip for, you know, parents of juniors, what top tip would you would you say? Uh, I would say keep it all in perspective. Um, yeah, let them try lots of things don't force anything if you're forcing it it's not it's not the thing that they're going to end up doing don't the obvious one don't try and live your life through them and this is their life it's not yours um you may think they're young and they can't make decisions give them credit i think they actually are a good guide on most things it's it's their it's their life it's not yours it's theirs you can guide as a parent, I'm sounding very preacherish, but you can guide as a parent. You know, at the end of the day, you can't, you mustn't try and control them. It's, it's their life. Otherwise, it, I think it'll come back to bite you on the bum. To be honest, I love that way of putting it. It's uh, and you know, in terms of keeping it in perspective, I think why why I really listen to that is it's so easy for things to get out of perspective in our sport when you've got selections ranking points tournaments um whether they're doing enough hours whether they should be doing a tournament instead of a kid's party that they've been invited to you know all these things it's so easy to lose perspective it is and i don't i don't think i don't think we got it right in, in some respects you know there were parties and things that emily wanted to go to that, that she didn't go to because she was playing a tournament the next day or whatever. And, you know, now in her mid twenties or whatever, I think she should have gone to those parties, you know? Yeah. She did give up stuff that, you know, she, yeah, she shouldn't have done. She should have, she should have, we should have worked around it. What was more important, her meeting with her friends or, or a particular Saturday, Sunday, she plays a, a green ball tournament in Shrewsbury or something. I mean, you know, get real. The kid's got to have a life. I love it. I love it. <laughs> that tickled you. I love it. I love it. I'm <laughs> laughing because, you know, this happened to us the other week where one of ours had a tournament, had a party invite, and <laughs> I I said, I think they should play the tournament. And uh, actually, my wife Becky said, I'm not sure you've got this right, you know, and she didn't quote the perspective word at me, but she would have been had every right to have <laughs> talked to me about perspective. So, I mean, maybe maybe men and women have a slightly different view on this because you know the women is the woman is more maternal, and I'm not knocking paternal side of yeah. things, but the the nurturing side of the female is 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 quite a strong instinct. 
and and maybe you know we see it in a slightly different way but it may not be the right way who knows you just don't know everybody's different everyone's unique and and how one child deals with not going to a party might be different how another child deals with it you've just got to do the best you can as a parent got to do the best you can but i think that's where this chat because it, it, you know we're all asking the same questions. You know, we, I bet every tennis parent who's got a child who's performing regularly in competitions, et cetera, is, has had this thing where there's a tournament and there's a party. What do you do? And keeping it in perspective seems like very good guidance to me. Um, I mean, you know, when when did Emily accelerate then into a tennis? Was that, a, was it literally 16? Emily's always been a late bloomer. Um, you know, she went through the IDs and didn't, you know, didn't do particularly well. And she was always the late bloomer. And her best junior year was her last year. Uh, she didn't have the best birthday. Uh, you know, they say that the kids born at the beginning of the year have the advantage. Well, she's born at the end, towards the end of the year, not at, at the end, but towards the end of the year. She was a year young at school, so she was constantly sort of trying to catch up with everyone else. Um, but yeah, it was her last year and, and, you know, then she started to come into her own and, you know, there've been a few people out there who said, oh, well, she only reached, you know, as high as she did because all the other players her age had moved on into the seniors. Well, yeah, but there were other players coming up. I mean, Emily played Iga Sviantec in her last year uh, three times and, you know, wow. she beat her once or and she lost twice, I think. But, you know, she played Bianca. She lost the uh, Australian Open quarterfinals to Bianca Andrescu. I mean, these guys, <laughs> these guys wow. are seriously good players, you know. So um, the cynics out there who sort of said, oh, she only got to that level because she, you know, didn't get to play the top players. Well, she actually did. Come on. You know, all those people who are going, uh, you know, 10 years old. You Well, eight years old. You've got to be in the system. You've got to be doing this, that and the other. No, you know, people develop at different ages. There's so many examples of players who have uh, who have bloomed late. And, and here's to them and here's to those who did it early. But every journey is different. And that's the thing that you've got to remember, isn't it? You have. And also you've got to remember that there are there are a few exceptions. So that, you know, the Cocos, the Emmas of this world are exceptions. That is not the norm, in my opinion for you to sort of shoot up that high that quickly. Um, if you look at the, you know, the bulk of the players, on the, certainly I can only really speak from the female side, um, the bulk of the players are making their own progress up the ranks at, at their own speed. Um, and some will make it, some, some won't. But, you know, the average, if you look at the average age of the female players now who are at the top, and you put the Emmas and the Cocos and aside, you're looking at mid to late 20s. You're not looking at 16, 17-year-olds. Yes, you've, we've now got Mira Andreeva coming through and Erica, her sister and whatever, but they are the exceptions. They are not the norm, in my opinion. Uh, and Emily is very typically just going her, her own pace. Uh, she is, as I say, she's always a little bit behind the curve, but she catches up in the end. Um, so just, you know... We shall see. You know, in the juniors, she was always hovering sort of middle below the top cream. And then when the time was right for her, she rose above them. Come on. That's the way it is. Come on. The progress <laughs> is happening there. It's very clear. Um, I know I know. in the past on the blog, you've given guidance to parents on whether their player is 
pro ready you know that you've talked about how there's much more to becoming a pro than hitting balls amazingly well being physically fit winning matches what for what are the main factors for players and for parents you know to be taken into account in terms of being pro ready i think what people don't realize is the step up or the transition between the junior levels and the 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 women's level on you know on that side is huge and as i say you know emily went from 10 in the world in the juniors to to right, right down the bottom and you have to start all over again and it it it's different the the pro level is different you know you are winning matches to earn a living um you know it's dog eats dog it's it's tough out there and in the junior levels everyone's friends with everyone you know when they're not on the court they're having a laugh they're playing tag they're doing you know other stuff but on the pro level some of the players who were best buddies in juniors they don't even talk to each other at tournaments because they're out there they're focused they they're out, they're out there to make money to to you know provide food and to provide finances for the next tournament and it's it's very very different so I'm not trying to put players off but they need to be ready to go out there and be motivated every day they need to be willing to take on constructive criticism they've got to work be prepared to work hard they've got to be prepared to lose um because the only way they learn is by losing and and let's face it there are a lot of losers every week uh, there's very there's only a very few winners uh, they've got to be hugely self-disciplined. Uh, they've got to make sacrifices. Uh, into the, you know, there aren't won't be many parties when you're on the pro tour. Um, you've got to, you know, be prepared to take responsibility for your own sort of tennis destiny, as it were. As a junior, you're very much guided by the parents, but once you're on the pro tour, it's down to you. Uh, you're the one that's earning the money. You're the one who's, you know, paying the bills. And you've got to wake up every morning and be positive. And, you know, what if you want this, you've got to go get it. It's it, You've got to get your big girl pants on. And, yeah. you know, this is the serious stuff when it gets to the pro tour. You know, it's not, a, of course, there are lighter moments and they have fun. But at the end of the day, the matches are there because you're trying to make a living. And it's an expensive living. And, you know, you've got all these things on the line, you know, in terms of you don't win a match, you you're not going to get the prize money. You know, you're not going to get the points, all these things. It's, it, it's your job now and you want to be successful in your job. I mean, I know from being a tennis parent of a junior that watching a player compete at the junior level can be stressful, but with all these things on the line, I mean, how is it being a mum of a tennis player on the pro tour and watching? Is that, is that just stress go up and another 15 notches? Yeah, it's it's pretty darn stressful. I wouldn't have it any other way. I I I love being a parent of a, of a player, but it is stressful. Uh and you have to deal with all the highs and the lows. Um there's a lot of uh yeah, you have to be hugely supportive. You've got to pick up your player when things don't go right. It, yeah, it's very stressful and it's stressful traveling with a player, but it's also stressful on those occasions if you're not traveling with the player and watching a live score on a phone, you know, and you don't, and suddenly the screen freezes and you don't know what's going on and you don't know if your player's gone for a medical timeout or whether it's pouring with rain or, yeah, it's stressful, really stressful being a parent on the tour. I mean, I'm fortunate I've chosen 
to spend some of my time with her and you know fortunate of an age where I've been able to give up work and um you know I travel with her and I love it and we have a really really good relationship but it, it, it's stressful in every respect and, and then it's stressful with with regards to financial stress you know because you know Emily worries about that all the time um you know I, I didn't make any money this week you know what am I going to do and but you have to put it in perspective and say you know just go out there and let's start again next week move on you're doing what you're good at and you're doing what you know it's your job relationship counselor it's got to be everything the ultimate test of being a mom isn't it <laughs> we're just being a parent i think yeah but it's i mean the thing is though when i'm watching a match like, like if it's if it's a player so i say i coach our our county cup teams if i'm watching a match of a player that isn't my child i i I can be, I can relax to a degree, and I can encourage. I'm detached, and and I'm 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 trying to motivate them. I'm trying to keep them positive, but as soon as it is my child on that court, the feeling is completely different. And and I, I don't know if it's because, like, as a coach, I can potentially, certainly in County Cup, give guidance at change of ends, but I'm kind of there and. I don't really know what to do must with myself half the time, apart from just try and smile. But if they've just done three double faults in a row, the last thing they want to do is see me smiling. You know, and they look over, what do you do? Well, my head wants to explode, but I don't really know what to do. And this is at a junior level. You know, how do you deal with that when you're in the crowd and, and think, you know, you just, what, what, how, what's your coping mechanism? You have to sit on your hands and you have to have a good poker face and uh you know you have to have a good selection of phrases of come on you're doing good and um you know look for the targets i mean i don't ever claim to be a coach i am not emily's coach i never will be i haven't played the game to that level so but i'm there as her supporter uh a couple of times my poker face has slipped and and she's told me about it so i've yeah. you know i've had to learn to keep positive and um yeah don't don't smile if she's just done three double faults but maybe give an encouraging come on you can do come it a little bit of a fist it. pump gentle one next time you're in the midlands can you organize a poker face seminar for parents <laughs> and i'll get all the tennis parents that we come across to come along and i mean i need this training more than anyone because when i have played poker people know what i've got based on this fact i can't hide my emotions very well keep it all in check but also don't uh don't get i don't know about your child but certainly when i'm watching i she doesn't like it if i get distracted so if people come up to talk to me i have to basically say like can i talk to you afterwards because i'm focusing on the match in hand um the, the, the players shouldn't really be aware of what's going on on the sideline, but they are acutely aware of what's going on. And even if they don't look at you, they can see if your hands are moving around, if you're shaking your head. Um, and that doesn't really just doesn't help them at all. Doesn't help them at all. You've got to keep calm. You know, the Poker Face Parent Workshop, uh, hosted by Sally, and <laughs> all funds coming to towards emily's tennis journey i think we can make it like a good like almost a, well, i'm sure we could raise a load of money because i'm sure we can get people there <laughs> but it's the thing i'm going to start working on i've got some tournaments coming up like 
have you know have we got our perspective right here we've got tournaments <laughs> coming up on the 28th the 29th and the 30th of december well that sounds like a cracking festive period um but i will practice my poker face and let you know how i get on it might not be right for every player some players want their uh their supporters to cheer and fist pump and everything else but i i can only speak from my experience with my player and she likes me to be calm poker faced and uh you know e even when she's winning uh you know I, I she doesn't want me to get too excited in my encouragement because that can put stress on her and you know so it's it's difficult you have to almost maybe talk to the your child or whatever and say how how do you want me to be when i'm supporting you do you want what do you want me to say do you want me to be quiet do you want me to be animated what you know again they know what they want get feedback from them some of ours don't want me there you know and, and yeah. that's cool too you know um yeah. that's in some ways that's that's very cool <laughs> but you know it's like because it's their own thing isn't it and i get it yeah. but I, I think you're right every everyone is different and i definitely think that when i am there like having a bit more of a poker face is something that I would very much like to have because I feel like it's 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 not it's not then uh, influencing their emotional state exactly they you're adding to their stress I think potentially by being mm. too animated not you but you know on any sideline situation you know the kids are under enough stress they want to impress their parents they want to impress whoever's watching and they, they don't need parents shouting and screaming uh, and I know the parents mean well and are trying to encourage and maybe coach but you're paying a coach to do that so don't confuse them with yeah. advice that might not be right it's another top tip that's for sure <laughs> now Sally the, the reality of life on the pro tour you know this is what your your blog really does bring to life and um I think you know, one of the things that, that people think of pro tennis tour, they will no doubt think of of glamour, of titles, of, of Wimbledon and riches. Um, and, you know, Emily's already done incredibly well. She's one of the best 500 players in the world. She's one of the top 150 in the world at doubles. You know, incredible achievements. But, you know, you, you've touched on it. What is the financial reality of a player trying to make it in the pro world? Well, <laughs> uh, the financial reality is that, um, generally speaking, very generally speaking, only the players in the top sort of 50 actually make money. Um, round about the top 50. And a lot of those are from endorsements. They're not actually from the tennis themselves. Um I mean, when you look at someone like, uh, I don't think a Coco Goff was, wasn't she the highest paid female tennis player this year? And, you know, she got three million for winning the US Open, but she's actually made nearly 30 million this year. Uh, a lot of that's from endorsements. Um, as the story goes, as it were, that you only break even when you get into the top 200. This is singles. Uh, break even for a doubles yeah. player is 70 to break even um anything below wow. that you're losing money year in year out you are losing money um it, it's very very tough financially um and everyone thinks oh you know you're playing in a $25,000 tournament you're going to win $25,000 you're not $25,000 is the prize pot that is distributed amongst everyone who plays in that tournament 
and the winner of a $25,000 tournament, which, by the way, won't exist next year, um, gets, I think, just over $2,000, which if you've played your tournament in South Korea, which we once did, well, your ticket costs more than $2,000 just to get there. So, uh, yeah, you lose money week in, week out. You know, if you're lucky enough to get to a level whereby, like Emily did this year, very fortunate, played qualifying for Wimbledon and had a wild card into the main draw. Very, very grateful for that. It's been a good year. She's not made money, but she's not lost money. Um, And, you know, the the fact that she got some prize money from that wonderful tournament means that she's got a coach here for three days this week. Um, Yeah. But you know, a coach is a coach of a decent level coach. You're looking at a thousand pounds a week, and that's just the coach. That is not his food, his accommodation, um, travel. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not your food, your accommodation, or travel when you go to a tournament. Uh, on top of that, you've got your physio, your fitness trainer. Uh, you've got to buy. You know, Emily is apart from rackets is not sponsored, so she has to buy all her clothes, her shoes. She gets through a pair of shoes every three weeks. Um, tennis balls, uh, subscription to the WTA is six hundred and fifty dollars a year. It's not free. Um, ITF, you you have to pay to sort of be on that tour as well. Uh, you know, the the list is endless. Strings. You know, if you play with natural gut string for example which some players do you're looking at $30 a packet of string which is one racket and you're getting through strings very quickly so you can lose mm-hmm. in effect lose 70 80,000 pounds a year um which is a lot of money so i'm um, you know the reality is sure if your if your child is good enough to go on the tour go on the tour but be prepared that it's going to cost until they get to that level where they start making money, it's going to cost a lot of money. And then, you know, you go into the tour and you think, oh, it'd be great. I'll get a sponsor here and a sponsor there. And uh, it doesn't happen. They want the top level players. And I understand that. Uh, if you get a local person who wants to sponsor you, grab it with two hands. But they're few and far between. Um, it's very, very expensive. Fortunately, Emily uh, made the most of COVID, if if you can put it that way. Uh, the UK Pro League came about as part of the COVID sort of year. She played a lot of them. She won a lot of them. Um, and that money she put away wisely. Um, mm. And she's still living on it, off it to this day, actually. Um, but it's it's wow. running a bit thin now. <laughs> I mean, Sally, you, you know, as a stream of consciousness on this issue, that is an absolutely brilliant stream of consciousness that anyone who has any misconception about the tour and whether you're going to end up, you know, as some sort of multimillionaire just by being on it needs to listen to. And it's one of those which it just seems so unfair that like an injustice is one of the hardest things in life to deal with, you know, bad enough with a line call let alone financial injustice like this so i mean the top 50 you know making money um what is the answer sally i you know what needs to happen here because it just it doesn't seem right that in other sports you know football there's so many professional players around the world and increasing numbers of women professional players now 
in in the world of football what is the answer surely the redistribution of wealth needs to needs to take place yeah it it does and and people keep saying it's happening but in reality well there are a few things you know people think um that the the, the money is distributed right it's not it's very 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 top heavy but also there's a massive discrepancy still between and this is going to open a can of worms that you know not probably for here but between the prize money between men and women everyone thinks you know Billie Jean King did an amazing job which she did and she got equal prize money for men and women but it's only at the grand slams <laughs> people don't realize that it's it's not yeah. all the other tournaments there is not equality um there are tournaments where it looks like the women are earning slightly more than the men but then you find out that the women have to pay for their accommodation and the men don't um so in effect the men are actually still making more than the women um so it, it's just it, it's tough i don't know where you start it's going to be it's going to take decades and it's not going to happen in my lifetime probably um maybe we'll get there eventually but yeah, yeah the the diversity between the top layers of tennis pros and those even around about the 300 400 level i mean the gap is just huge just massively wide mm. um but what can you do i mean you have to keep plugging away and the actual standard of play yeah. between the top and the mid range uh, yeah of course it's different but it's quite fine lines to be honest and it it just takes a few wins and yeah. a few tournament wins to get up there and then once you're up there it's you know they they tend to stay up there because for whatever reason but yeah the money is is a big problem and there's not enough of it in the lower levels yeah. by any means um and it's tough i hope that you know even the little bit we're doing here will at least drive the awareness of that situation and goodness knows there needs to be some sort of solution to it and i mean i guess you know where there are challenges and it comes innovation and uh because that's what innovation does is trying to come over the challenges and i mean i was reading on the blog about a wta 125 event in italy <laughs> where emily and her partner made it to the semi so you know they've done well there. they've made the semi and that the prize money for that was just 500 pounds before tax was deducted Yet the air for home was quoted as £565. Now, faced with this situation and I guess not wanting to make a loss from a good week's work, how did yourself and Emily figure out a way home in a cost-effective way? Yeah, that, that was a tough one. That was, uh, yeah, it was so... She, they, they played in a, a WTA 125 event in Parma. Uh, it's the first WTA level sort of from the bottom up. You've come off the ITF tour. You're on the WTA tour, uh, and she and her partner did really well. They they knocked out. I think it was the number two seeds in the first round, and then they won the next round, and they got into the semifinals. And so you would have thought, oh, payday, going to be quite good. She wasn't like she couldn't play singles that week because they had a very tiny singles qualifying draw, and she was number one alternate, didn't get in. So we only went out there for the doubles in the end. Um, uh, yeah, they lost the semi-final and then she went to collect her prize money and yeah, it was £565 gross. Uh, when you go to it, there's something else that people don't realise, which I talk about on the blog, is that these players also get stung for tax in every country pretty much that they go to. Uh, Italy being 
I think the highest one that they pay, 30% of her prize money is then taken off. So she was down to, what, 400? Wow. I don't know. My maths isn't great off, off, off the top of my head. Um, for winning, for getting to the semifinals of a tour level doubles event. Um, so, and that was, and also you got to remember the prize money for the doubles players is less and then it's split in two. So, yeah, she walked away with like 400 pounds. Um, we couldn't get the flights home from Milan. So that it was a challenge that day. How do we get home in the most cost effective way? I think we took <laughs> seven forms of transport that day. We did a taxi, a train, a train, a bus, a plane, a train, a train, a taxi, something like that. That wasn't seven, but it was a lot of traveling. And uh, we kept <laughs> we tried to keep oh. smiling the whole time. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting tournament. But on the flip side, you know, she she played in a tour level event. She played against some unbelievably good players. Uh, got to hit with yeah. with them, and just being around that high level player, little bits rub off on you, um, and you get inspired that you want to next year. I'm going to come back. I'm going to get beyond the semi final. But yeah, to and then when we got home, we worked out that actually the money, the prize money, certainly from the doubles side, for a WTA 125 event is less than a ITF W100 event, which doesn't make sense. Because if you're on a WTA, you think you're at the higher level tour, but actually the prize money yeah. was less. So she would have been better off playing on the ITF tour that week doing a W100 event somewhere else. But you want to do the WTA ones because they have the prestige. Um, so, yeah, it's tough. What I love about it, though, as I said to, to M on the way home, was, you know, and this is the good side of the reality, was I got to travel. I get to travel around Europe, for example, in a way that I never would at my age. Um, learning how to work out the train system, the bus systems, finding the cheapest way to travel from A to B um, and seeing parts of countries that you wouldn't, it's, it's almost like being a, um, taking a gap year and, and, and traveling around Europe age 59. <laughs> <laughs> Cause that's what I'm doing. I love this. Um, you know, and <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm getting to do stuff that people do in their early twenties. Uh, so so yeah. for me, life on the tour is fun because i'm getting to and i get to do it with, i get to do it with my daughter yeah and this is the point is like i feel like it would be completely amiss not to talk about the finance of being on tour and how it, it doesn't seem right but the blog is not a negative place to hang out there are an awful lot of positives about the life on tour that you talk about on the blog and and i think you know, we've just seen one of those, which is you had an amazing trains, planes and automobiles just to get home after an event. And and somehow you know, and you've made that a real positive experience. You know, there, there must be others, you know, being a tennis parent to a pro tennis player. You know, when you think about that life on tour, what, what are the other positives that really spring to mind? Yeah, I'm I'm very conscious that what sometimes when I write them I think, oh my gosh, that sounds so negative. But there are there definitely are positives. I mean, a first of all to see 
my player perform on the world stage, as it were, when she gets to the better events, is just, it, you can't beat it. It's fantastic. You know, watching her play in the, the junior slams was just incredible. I was, you know, the pride, you're just bursting with pride. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's traveling. It is fun. I mean, it has its highs, it has its lows, and we've had some absolute horror stories. Um, but you get to place, go to places that you wouldn't normally go. Um, you know, if you go to a country, you think, oh, well, I, I go to, I don't know, wherever, India, and see the Taj Mahal. Well, no, we don't go there. We go miles away from the Taj Mahal, and we would go to some remote village. I mean, we went to Serbia. She played in Serbia a couple of years ago. Not a great trip lost our bags along the way another story um but the the you know the actual you flew we flew into belgrave and then the actual tournament was four and a half hour bus ride away from belgrade in the middle of nowhere um another blog i wrote about jungle tennis is you know we went to a tournament we've been to columbia several times um but this was literally in a jungle like four hours from bogota uh, you go to places that most people wouldn't normally go to. I haven't been to all the tourist attractions around the world. I've been to places that people just don't go to, which is kind of nice, yeah. but it's also a bit weird because some of them I probably wouldn't go back to in a hurry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, get to travel all over the place, see lots of different things, experience different cultures, experience different food, different people, face language barriers, but it's fun. It's fun. I mean, at the time, it, at the time it seems quite stressful there are days when you just think oh, I'm not sure I should be doing this at my age but when I look back on it I think wow no this is good I'm I'm seeing the world in a different way oh, man. And that's, um, that's lovely I think I feel like that's what comes across when I'm reading and and another thing that really strikes me is this amazing relationship that you you've you know you've got with your daughter and the time that you're spending together and I think actually you know we started following Emily's journey really was when Stanley was ball crewed for Emily at Nottingham then we watched one of the matches together and you could see that strong relationship after Emily won that match between you both I mean you know often tennis parents of pro players they don't necessarily get the best press and there's been some toxic relationships over the years but you know, you seem to. How have you managed to keep with all this roller coaster of stuff going on? How have you managed to keep this relationship so positive? Um, I don't know. I think I'm very lucky. Um, I only have, as I said before, I only have one child, so you know, she's she's in effect my life. Um, we get on incredibly well. Um, we, of course, there have been. There have been quite a few hurdles in the in previous years for, for lots of different reasons. Um, but we, we've come through them. We support each other. Uh, weirdly, we very rarely argue. I, I would say I'm just incredibly lucky. Yeah. I haven't got I haven't got a child who, who's been a sort of hormonal teenager. We didn't never really went through that phase. I don't know why. Maybe it was the tennis. It was just distraction. Um but no, I'm just incredibly lucky. We have a good relationship. We do lots of things together. We have the same sense of humour. Um, we're quite happy being silent in each other's company. You know, we just we just get on. And if we if if we're having a day where we don't want to talk to each other, we just you know just go. I'll go and get a coffee somewhere or whatever. But generally, we get on. And, and what I like 
love about being on the tour is just being there to support her. Yeah. Um, being there as a mum, yeah. being there as a, as a supporter. As I said, I'm not a coach, um, but being there as a companion. The tour is brutal. It's incredibly lonely, particularly for the the lower levels, i.e. the levels that can't afford the entourage of coaches and whatever. You're on your own. There's a lot of girls out there who travel, and boys, but travel on their own. It's not a hugely safe experience. Yeah. Uh, and I found as a, as a mum on tour that a lot of the female players actually gravitate towards me when I'm there. Uh, they just want that mum figure. Um they even invite me out for dinner and it's it's cool and I'm one of the girls. Cool, um but yeah, yeah, I'm just very lucky. We have a we have a we have a good bond. Yeah. Um Emma me. But you know, I think I'm quite blessed in I know you've got this very, very strong bond and, and that companionship and everything. So, you know, just for a bit of fun now, I don't think anyone knows Emily like you know Emily. I I've gathered some quick fire questions from sort of interviews that she's done uh over the past few years. Am I okay to test out just how much you know about Emily here? Goodness me, you can try. Let's give it a go. Come on. Well, you've actually already answered a couple of them because one of them was about the coffee bowl. So I know perfectly well that you know that's in Costa Rica. Uh, but nonetheless, yep. according to Trans World Sport, at what age <laughs> did Emily win her first tennis tournament? She was nine. She was indeed she played, nine. She played. We were over here in Florida for the summer. She played an under 10. No, I think it was a nine and under uh, tournament in a place called Estero. Ooh. And uh, yeah, she went in there as a bit of a ringer. She'd never played a tournament before. And yeah, she beat the number one seed and yeah, came away with a little trophy. Come on, so the first one was in Florida. The first, I mean, the first. Well, that's yeah, I think she she didn't play she didn't play the British so she didn't play she didn't really compete in the UK until yellow balls she played a couple of orange balls and maybe a couple of green balls but she didn't really go through that system at all. Another signal for anyone who's worrying about whether their children are competing enough. There it is. Didn't do that. She did probably. I could count on one hand. <laughs> Come on now, Emily has been doing an online degree. Do you know what course Emily's been doing? I do. Emily is doing a bachelor degree in business and enterprise in sport. She's halfway Yay. through. She's done exactly two years out of the four. And yeah, she's she's enjoying it. She uh, didn't do it straight from school because she was done with education. She got her A-levels and then decided I've had enough of education for a while. But a couple of years ago, decided actually now I need something to fill my time whilst I'm on tour whilst I'm sitting around waiting for matches, um, waiting in airports. So, yeah, she's doing an online degree. That's amazing. And in terms of, like, you know, setting yourself up for the future and just self-motivation and all these kinds of things, what an amazing thing to be doing. Fantastic. Yeah, she's done a couple. She's done a, a diploma in sports marketing as well. She she did when she was uh, – when she came out of junior, she was fortunate enough to be sponsored by Sky for three years. Yeah. Uh, and they uh, had an academic program run with the University of West London. So she had to do academic work then as well. So she she is quite quite an academic, actually. She's a bit of a boffin. Um, and um, so she needs things to fill her time. Brilliant. Otherwise, she gets a bit bored. 
Do you know, so this one, this question is the one we discussed as a family, particularly me and the children, um, because Emily's answer to it, we were like, wow, you know. Um, would Emily choose to have a McDonald's or a KFC? I know the answers to that. She said, I've never had a KFC. She doesn't That's remember. The bit we discussed. She doesn't remember that as a child she did have popcorn chicken, which I think is KFC. Yeah. Um, uh, but give her a pizza, she'd hoover it up in seconds. I know the pizza when she celebrated the big tournament win that she had not that long ago. She went to a restaurant and had a pizza on her own. Yeah, Oof, straight down. Oh come on! I mean, I mean, you know, I know. I know Emily's journey is very much a live one and it's got loads of exciting chapters to come. You've seen in the last year what amazing developments there have been in, in Emily's career as a tennis player. But, you know, I also know, you know, you understand the reality of life on tour. I mean, tricky on this, but, as, you know, as a parent moving forwards, what are your hopes and dreams for, for Emily in her career? Yeah, I mean, I just... Like most parents, I just want my daughter to be happy and to be enjoying what she does. Yeah. Um, you know, if she ever gets to a point where she's not enjoying it anymore, then, you know, you have to think, well, you're, are you doing the right thing? But have you got something to move on to at the same time? Um, you know, the grass is, is never greener. You know, you have a, you have you can have days on the tour when your player says, oh, my God, this is awful. I want to give up. And then I sort of might say to her, Okay, what are you going to do? Uh, do you want to go and work in a factory, in a shop? Uh, do you want to go and work in the city? You know, what what's the upside? If you yeah. you know, and then she realizes actually my job's quite nice. Like, you know, I get to yeah. see the world. I get I get to whack a ball around the place. I get to do something that I'm quite good at. So uh, I don't I don't know. As long as she's happy, I don't mind. It sounds really corny and really cliched, um, but it's true. At the end of the day, I just want a child that is happy and with her life and her lot um i mean this conversation has been fun it's been it's been good really good fun been funny but the the blog is about the life on the tour it's not i i don't want people thinking oh god she's out there trying to promote emily i'm, I'm really not she can do that herself it, it's about what it's like on the tour as yeah. a as a mum and you know yeah. the good the bad and the reality and i hope people can gleam a few bits from that and and see that you know yeah there are negatives but there are also a lot of positives in it it's it is yeah. it's a good thing to do not everyone can do it i'm very blessed yeah it's really it's balanced though the blog is really balanced sally i feel like and it is a fantastic read i'll certainly be spreading the link as far and wide as i can i mean i want to pass on yeah i want to pass on any wisdom that i've learned to other people um the and that's why I started the blog but I also started it as a means as I said to you I think before you started recording was it's cathartic for me it was it was time to get all this stuff in my head out on paper and if someone can glean something from it and learn a little something from my journey well that's great um and I, you know I'm always open to people contacting me and asking questions and advice I, 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 I can just tell them what I've done and whether it's the right stuff I don't know but it's the reality as it were I've certainly found it cathartic to to read it because there's lots of parallels with 
the pro tour to even being the junior and you know down to and why it's not corny why it's so true is that if you stop enjoying doing something why would you keep doing it you know Absolutely. life is too short and and that could happen at a pro level it could happen to a, a seven-year-old an eight-year-old a nine-year-old and i think it's um it's just such good guidance i mean you know you know the we've talked about the highs and the our real highs we've talked about the challenges i mean some people who have listened to our episode with young children and you know you invest a lot of time a lot of money into something that you you know you're hoping that they're going to enjoy because that's that's what parents want their kids to get out of it but you know they might come away thinking hang on a minute if this is the reality I, i'm not sure if if tennis is the sport for me you know but what would you say on that you know pe should people still be taking the plunge and getting their children along to their local tennis club goodness me definitely tennis tennis is one of the most sociable sports that there is in my opinion uh, I, I don't actually play, but I play paddle tennis five times a week when I'm at home. Uh, I play pickleball, uh, but it's just so sociable. Um, I mean, getting kids involved in any kind of sport to me is is hugely important. It, it doesn't have to be tennis, but tennis tennis is incredibly sociable. It's one of those sports that you know you can still play in your fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties. You know, obviously, it's a different kind of sport at those ages, but. Um, yeah, no, definitely get them down there. Um, do as many sports as they possibly can. Um, you know, life is about being sociable. It's about meeting people, mixing with people. And if you can pick up a racket and make contact with a ball, it's got to be a good thing. You know what I think as well? And like as we go into this digital age where kids are spending more and more time on their Xboxes in virtual worlds, what sport can offer is real worlds with real life lessons and amazing journeys like and sociability i i don't believe that being on a xbox just because your friend happens to be involved in this game in the same way when you're zapping someone or you know you're chatting online this is not the same as getting out in the fresh air and playing a sport and making friends and i think one of the massive things sport has to offer moving forward is is real life real worlds get away from those virtual worlds absolutely yeah, and all the health benefits that go with it. But yeah, but the world's changing, isn't it, Rob? You know, you do wonder what in future generations will be like. Are they all going to have eyesight problems by the time they're 15? Um, I think so. But hey, get out there and play sport is my philosophy. Get out there and play sport and play tennis <laughs> because it's a brilliant one. Um, finally, and thank you so much for your time, <laughs> Sally. I I've loved chatting. I could easily make this the longest episode i've done i think this is episode 86 or something like that but easily make it because it's fascinating um but finally it's a question we've asked most of the guests who have come on to the show if you could go for a drink with anyone alive or dead who would it be and why i actually found this quite hard um from a tennis viewpoint i think it would be mm. ash barty reason being i kind of feel some affinity with her having read her book we both do. Uh, she's. I, I admire the fact that she's her own person. That yeah. she gave up when she did, and she gave up more than once. Um, because she knew what she wanted. She didn't. You know, she could have won endless more slams. Not not to say she won't come back. Yeah. Uh, but I just liked her. I like her individuality. I like the fact that she does what's right for her. 
Um, I really, really admire that. Non-tennis, this is going to sound a little bit, uh, and don't, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to set a downer on this, is I kind of like, my mum died when I was quite young, kind of like to have a drink with her one day. Yeah. Uh, find out if, if you know, am I doing the right stuff? Am I doing it okay? Yeah. Um, and see what, you know, what she would have done had it been like me or whatever. But that's just, you know, that was just the only one I think of. There are other people, you know, people, comedians that I like, or whatever, I'd like to have a chat with them, but I don't know. They were they were the ones anyway. I hear you. You know, in, in that respect, it's different because, you know, my mum is still with us and I love seeing my mum. But my grandpa is like one of, he was one of my best friends. We recently went into a Greek restaurant and they gave us um, a glass of ouzo to start. And I drank this ouzo. <laughs> oh, lovely. It, the memory <laughs> flooded back because my grandpa, when I was a boy, told me it was Greek water. I'm not sure this is like oh my god and the memories of my grandpa so I mean yeah my grandpa, <laughs> my grandpa would be right up on the list so I think that's a completely completely understandable that you, you'd want to spend that drinking time with your mum you know and and chatting about chatting about the adventures that you've been on with Emily and I'm, I'm sure she would love 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 to hear about those and uh, I mean, Ash Barty as well, you know, the fact that she gave up and started a different sport, you know, twice. I know, unbelievable. And the similarities there with yeah. with Emily and yeah. her journey and how she was playing so many. I know in her interview, she said if she wasn't a tennis player, she'd like to be a pro badminton player. So, yeah, it's uh, it's clearly that multi-sporting <laughs> prowess. I think it would be fascinating to hear from Ash Barty. And, and you know what? I've not read that book, so... I will be buying a copy of that. It's really, really good. Sally, thank you so much for your time. It's been brilliant to chat. Um, no, thank you. I will certainly be sharing lots of your blogs moving forward because they are a fantastic read. There are, you know, it, keeping things in perspective, you know, can be challenging as a tennis parent because it takes up so much of your waking hours, planning, traveling. It certainly does. Logistics string prices what shoe size how what's the best price we can get on strings all these your, your son your sons haven't got you stringing yet i actually learned string for emily when she was younger becky has suggested that like i invest in a stringer um machine <laughs> but the truth of the matter is that like i am so technically inept that like i'm not sure like is it easy to learn how to string it's quite easy but it it gets more complicated when you're traveling. We had a traveling stringing machine, but they're just not the same. No. Um, but you, so you, so you have to, but the downside is, is you then have to rely on the stringers at the tournaments, which obviously at the Grand Slams, they're unbelievable stringers. That's what they do for a living. Yeah. But when you go to a, a little $15,000 tournament event in Cucuta, Colombia, and the guys in the car park under an umbrella with this little machine on a table you're like oh my god this is you know how you string this racket will determine how i play yeah whoa uh you know and then he loses your strings and you're just like well that's another 20 bucks down the pan because you've oh. left you've lost my heart my strings and yeah oh it's tough it, it's doable you can say you, you can find little courses you can learn how to string it's not too bad i will get on it <laughs> yet another example of some fine advice coming the way of us tennis parents uh, so sally i mean <laughs> honestly everyone if you've not had a chance to have a look at the blog please do i'll post links 
70 to choose from at the moment at the moment yeah. 70 blogs out there wow. plenty on. of variety yeah plenty of variety <laughs> and they're all quality so thank you so much sally for your time it's been lovely to chat it really has very much appreciate it thank you rob that's all for today but thank you very much for listening and if you enjoyed that please do hit the subscribe or follow button so you keep up to date with new episodes. And we look forward to welcoming you back to my tennis journey very soon.